You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown, where feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery, in oceans deep, my faith will Thank you.
Good morning, church family. It's good to be back with you in our digital worship service again this morning. Uh, thank you for inviting us into your homes and for being so faithful in your uh, watching uh, and, and engaging in this worship service with us. Uh, we know that this has not been the uh, ideal situation, obviously, um, but we appreciate your effort in trying to maintain and even grow in, in your spirituality and your relationship with God uh, during this time period. Uh, so many of you have been doing so many great things and building bridges between uh, each other, our congregation, and uh, bridges with our community, and we're grateful for that, and uh, we're, we're proud uh, to be a part of this good congregation. Uh, if you uh, know someone who does not have technology, doesn't uh, like Facebook, doesn't uh, have the internet or YouTube, uh, our, our uh, worship services and our Bible classes are on those platforms, um, but we're also uh, broadcasting them over the telephone. And so you can dial this number um, and through from any phone, and you can listen to and engage with our worship service, the singing, the Lord's Supper, uh, the, uh, the the lesson, uh, the, the Bible class on Wednesday, all those will be on there uh, until I upload the next uh, set. And so Wednesday's Bible class will be on there until uh, around Saturday afternoon when I upload the, the Sunday sermon. Uh, and so uh, if you know someone that uh, that doesn't have the Internet, uh, shoot that, that, that phone number to them and tell them that they can listen uh, and engage with our worship service on that platform. If you know of anyone that ha that has needs uh, for food, we want to be a resource for that as well. Uh, we have our food pantry here, and so uh, connect us with the people that that can uh, that need the food, uh, and we would just be honored and grateful to be able to help them. Uh, some of you are, are dealing with unemployment at this time. Uh, that that's a need that we understand, and we're equipped and ready to help. Uh, so if we can serve you in that way or serve someone you know in that way, uh, please let us know. All right, uh, let's get our minds ready, and uh, we are going to enter into our worship this morning. studying from John chapter 11 today. So be grabbing your Bibles and be turning there. 
This is one of my favorite stories. Uh, I've preached this lesson. This may have been uh, my first uh, text that I got to preach from. Uh, and so I've loved this text for a long time. And I think you're going to love it too. If you don't already, uh, this is a really, uh, really great text uh, to study from. It's John chapter 11. I'm sure you're probably already familiar with this, uh, with this scene. It's the resurrection of Lazarus. Uh, it is maybe one of Jesus's most fantastic signs, to use John's word. Remember, John's going to use signs uh, not in the way that the uh, synoptic writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are going to talk about miracles. Um, John's going to talk about signs. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about miracles because they want you to be awed uh, by Jesus's power. Uh, it, is a sh it is a show uh, of his deity. Uh, John wants you to see that, but he's much more interested in you seeing the spiritual principle behind the miracle, uh, behind the sign. Uh, and so he's going to use these miracles, like we've talked about over the last several weeks, uh, to convey a spiritual principle. Uh, he's going to use them as illustrations. And so uh, today he's going to uh, be very clear with what this particular sign uh, is, uh, what he wants you to draw from it. So we're not going to have to guess today. He's going to be very clear with us. Uh, and so that's always great. Uh, at the background uh, of, this, uh, of this sign is, uh, is the, uh, there's so much... Uh, Power. There's so many interesting things going on uh, in this story. And so let's jump into uh, Luke chapter 11. Let me set the scene for you before we get into the text. We're going to start in, in verse 17. John chapter 11 verse 17 is where we're going to read from. Uh, but let me, let me set the scene for you very quickly before we get into the text. So Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are all siblings. Uh, this is a family. They live in a city called Bethany. Bethany is about two miles away from Jerusalem. Things have started to heat up for Jesus in Jerusalem, and so it's no longer safe for him to be in this area. And so uh, he has uh, gotten away from Jerusalem now, and he's about 25, 27 miles away from the city at this point. He gets a message from, uh, from the family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, that Lazarus has uh, fallen ill. We don't know what's going on. Uh, John doesn't use a word for us that helps us understand uh, Lazarus' sickness. Uh, but what he does say is that he is very, very, very ill. Uh, he, in fact, he is on death's door. Uh, and in fact, by the time the messenger gets to Jesus, it's going to take him about a day to leave Mary and Martha uh, and Lazarus in Bethany. It's going to take him about a day to get to where Jesus is. So by the time he gets there, Lazarus is most likely dead. Uh, we know that because by the time we get, uh, by the time Jesus gets back to Bethany, uh, Mary and Martha are going to say that Lazarus has now been dead for four days. Um, and so if you read through this text, and I, again, I highly recommend reading through uh, John chapter 11. Take a minute this week, like you did last week of John 9, and read through this story. You're going to be captivated. This is a fantastic story. Uh, you'll get to love the characters. Read through it a couple of times, maybe. You're, you're going to see things. 
um, the first uh, time or the third and fourth time that you didn't see the first time as you read through this story. Uh, but you're going to love the characters. You're going to get to see the passion and the compassion uh, of Jesus in this story. But you're also going to get to get to see his heart. Uh, what he's really shooting at uh, is very clear in this story. And so take the time. Read through this, this chapter. Uh, but the messenger, as he leaves Bethany, he gets to Jesus some, about a day later. Lazarus has already passed away by this point. Uh, he gets there. He tells Jesus, uh, Jesus, the one whom you love is, is very ill. In fact, he's at death's doors, the word John uses for us. Uh, and so you would expect Jesus to say, well, we, I love this man. I, you know, Lazarus is one of my best friends. Uh, he and Mary and Martha, this family, has been a supporter of Jesus' work. They, they've supported him financially. They are disciples. Um, they have faith. You're going to get to see a, a little bit of it here in John chapter 11 where they struggle a little bit. Um, but nonetheless, they have faith. Uh, so they're disciples. They follow Jesus around. No doubt they've seen him do miracles. Um, at least Martha is uh, and Mary as well confident that Jesus can could have healed Lazarus from this disease. So I'm sure that they've seen Jesus's miracles. Um, they've no doubt heard much of his teaching. And so they are disciples, and Jesus loves them just like they love him. Uh, and so when the messenger comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, one of your best friends is gravely sick, um, Mary and Martha don't even, I guess, feel like they have to ask Jesus uh, to come. Just the fact that he's ill should be enough to get Jesus to come there, right? Um, if if you were to hear that someone that you loved dearly uh, was gravely ill and it was within your power to go and be with them, certainly uh, you would go to their bedside, right? Uh, and so you would expect the same thing from Jesus. Uh, when complete strangers uh, are ill, he takes the time to heal them, to talk with them, to, to be with them. And so certainly this man that... that this text says repeatedly that he loves, certainly Jesus would go to this man, right? Wrong. That's that's not what happens in this text. That's what you expect to happen, but that's not what actually happens here. When Jesus hears from this messenger that uh, his friend Lazarus is gravely ill, uh, Jesus says these words, This sickness will not lead to death, but it will glorify God. And so there's a couple things there that we need to unpack, I guess. There are some illnesses that lead to the glory of God. That's a category that we're not very comfortable with, um, are we? Um, but there are some illnesses, some situations that can lead to the glory of God, even though they hurt us. Uh, God did not cause this situation. He did not cause uh, Lazarus's illness. He did not cause this current virus that we're in. But he can derive glory from it. And so that's the first thing that we need to unpack from, from this uh, idea that this sickness does not lead to death. Um, the second thing is this messenger heard these words. And so as he returned back to Mary and Martha the next day, he would have transported those words uh, to them. But Lazarus has already died. So those words of Jesus must have come off as sounding very hollow. Um, Lazarus has already been dead for about a day 
by the time that the messenger gets back. And he comes back, and uh, the Bible doesn't record this for us, but just reading between the lines, uh, you kind of got to see this man coming to Mary and Martha, and, and the, they have their tear-streaked faces. And he says, don't worry, Jesus said that this sickness will not lead to death. Lazarus is going to get better. And the sisters look at the messenger and say, well, he's, he's already died. They had been waiting on Jesus, but, but he kind of let them down, hadn't he? Um, we're going to delve into that this, this, uh, during this lesson. But uh, let, let's keep on going through the story. So the messenger gets to, gets to Jesus. He, he says his piece. Jesus sends him back with, with his message. And then Jesus stays two more days where he is. Remember, you would expect Jesus to go immediately by the to the ta- to the bed bedside of this of this guy that that and that he loves is one of his best friends, and so you would expect him very quickly to to kind of wrap up what he's doing here. Uh, maybe he finishes his teaching, uh, maybe he heals one more person, but certainly he he goes as quickly as he can to Lazarus's um, bedside. That's just not what happens. He waits two more days uh, before he leaves, and we're not even told uh, what he's doing during this time. And so don't. Maybe we're not meant to see that Jesus is doing something incredibly important. Like we talked about earlier, uh, even when he is in the midst of teaching, um, which you would consider very important, right? Even when he's in the midst of teaching, um, people come to him for healing and he takes time out and he stops and he heals them. Uh, And so don't see Jesus as too busy to go to Lazarus during this time. Uh, There's a deeper underlying thing going on here. Uh, And so we should be able to unpack uh, what's happening for us here in John chapter 11. We're going to get to that in a second as well. Let's continue the story. Uh, Eventually, after these two days are over, Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, let's go to Bethany. Uh, We're going to wake Lazarus up. Uh, And the disciples think, oh, Lord, if he's sleeping, he's going to get better. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. There's danger there. Uh, Please don't go back to Jerusalem. And so they try to talk Jesus out of going back. Uh, But Jesus won't have any of it. He clarifies for them that Lazarus is indeed not just sleeping but has died. Uh, And he's going so that he can uh, wake him up uh, so that they can believe. So... Uh, he heads back to Bethany and finally gets there. Thomas has this amazing uh, comment before they leave. Um, I don't know what the rest of the disciples were thinking, but it's Thomas this time who speaks up, not Peter, the usual spokesman for the apostles. It's Thomas this time who speaks up. And Thomas says, let's go with him so that we can die with him. This amazing statement of faith from Thomas. You know, Thomas usually gets a pretty bad rap. Um, because of after the resurrection, he needed to see the, the nail wounds in Jesus' hands. And he wanted to see uh, where the, the spear had, had uh, punctured his side and his heart. Uh, and so, you know, people call him Doubting Thomas. And, and that's kind of his legacy in the church, but not here in John chapter 11. You don't find Doubting Thomas here. You find a devoted Thomas who is ready to die with Jesus. So the disciples and Jesus make their way back to Bethany. And that's where we pick up in John chapter 11, verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. 
Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to count, console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. So Jesus comes to, uh, to Bethany. Uh, he's, he's come uh, there with the intent of uh, healing Lazarus. Martha is the first one to come out to see Jesus. Mary is remaining in the house. There's a, a Jewish custom uh, that you would stay in the house for around a month uh, to mourn the loss of your loved one. And, and Mary and Martha have been in the midst of uh, this incredible grief, this incredible pain uh, for several days. We don't, again, know what was wrong with Lazarus, but we know that he became gravely ill. And so you should see uh, them sitting beside his bedside table. Maybe he's coughing. Maybe he's wheezing. Uh, maybe he's vomiting. There's there's all these things that go with um, watching someone pass away. Uh, death is never um, pleasant. It's never uh, uh, an easy experience to walk through with someone. It's always painful. It's always uh, hard. So Mary and Martha have been walking through that with Jesus, uh, or excuse me, with Lazarus now, for the last several days. Uh, I'm sure his fever has been spiking. Uh, there's been coughing. Uh, it's It's been a, a rough uh, last several days. And, and now Lazarus has finally died, and they are in the midst of their grief. Um, Martha apparently has a century waiting uh, looking, keeping an eye out for Jesus. And now he's finally come. It's taken him four days to get here. A journey that should have only taken him one day has now taken him four days. He's finally arrived, though, and Martha runs out to see Jesus, leaving Mary, her sister, in the house mourning with all these other folks who have come from Jerusalem to mourn with them. So what does Martha say when she comes to Jesus? John chapter 11, verse 21 Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So this first little section here that Martha says, uh, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She is bringing up the past, isn't she? She's remembering all the pain, all the memories uh, of Lazarus's last few days are so set in her mind. Uh, she can't get them out. Um, you probably have some similar memories from someone that you've loved that you've lost. Uh, being beside a bed as someone passes away is not something that you forget easily. Uh, and so you've probably got those memories just like Mary and Martha do. And she is, Martha is uh, stuck on that uh, all those memories are, are flooding back into her mind. And Lord, if you'd have been here, you could have healed him just like you healed the blind man, just like you healed the lame man, just like you've healed countless other people throughout the last couple of years. You could have healed my brother, but you didn't come. You, you weren't here. All that pain is rising up in, in Martha. Um, and, and she she just can't get can't get over it. And that's a hard thing to get over. If you've been in her shoes, you understand better than most. Um, if there's ever been any darkness 
in your past, if there's ever been any abuse or neglect uh, or, or things like that, that that are just heartbreaking, uh, that you carry with you for the rest of your life, you understand where Martha's coming from. Uh, Jesus completely understands where Martha's coming from. And so we don't want to shy away from this, this question, why do bad things happen? Um, Jesus is completely comfortable in this arena. Uh, and, and so we can ask him these questions and we can, we can deal with this. Uh, and so he's going to here. And so let, let's dive into a little bit of that. Uh, nothing Martha says here is incorrect. Um, if Jesus had been there, he could have healed Lazarus. And even this last little bit that she says here, uh, God really will give Jesus, whatever he asks for, uh, all, all the things that she says here in the midst of her pain, in the midst of her grief, she's right. Uh, nothing she says is incorrect. It's just not complete. It's just not a whole thought. Uh, she kind of stopped short. Look forward, jump forward a couple of, of verses and, and you'll find Lazarus hopping out of uh, the cave, out of the tomb. Uh, where he had been put by his family. When that happens, when Lazarus uh, is called forth by Jesus and he comes out, he's still wearing uh, the, the grave clothes, right? He's still wearing the linen cloth um, around his head, around his, uh, around his body and his legs. So he, he hops out of uh, the tomb. All that pain, all those tears, all those memories, all those smells, all those sounds that had so haunted Mary and Martha for the last several days are replaced by complete joy. All those things are gone, right? And so here back in 21 and 22 of chapter 11, Martha's asking the right questions. She's saying the right things. She just hasn't waited long enough to see God make her whole. We fall into the same problem, right? Um, it's very easy in the midst of our pain to look at God and say, well, where were you? You didn't show up for me. Mary and Martha, no doubt, obviously, had been sitting at the window, looking down the road, waiting, expecting to see Jesus coming. And he just hadn't. Deliberately, just hadn't come. Uh, and so when he finally does come, Mary and Martha, they say the exact same thing. Uh, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. They say the exact same thing. And so this is, converse, this is a conversation that they've been having amongst themselves over the last several days at the, as they've been waiting for Jesus to show up. This anger, uh, this, this sadness, the, the grief is welling up in them. And, and, and they're beginning maybe to doubt Jesus a little bit. That's what we do in our grief and our pain too sometimes, don't we? Uh, we, we? We struggle a little bit to understand, why have you allowed this thing to happen? Uh, e even though I know you didn't cause this pain, why have you allowed this to happen? And, and so we struggle with that a little bit. But had Martha waited to see how God made her whole, how he brought her tears into joy... Everything would have been made known. Uh, all of her questions would have been answered. Why did you wait, Lord? Well, so that you can believe. So that the disciples, who still don't really comprehend who Jesus is, 
and why he came. So that they can believe. So that all the Jews who are watching. Remember all these people that have come from Jerusalem to mourn with the sisters. So that they can believe. And it worked. It worked. Uh, You see in this passage the family believing. Mary and Martha and even Lazarus. You see their faith growing in just the next chapter. Uh, Mary is going to anoint Jesus' own body uh, with an incredibly expensive perfume, showing her sacrifice, showing her faith uh, has grown. The Jews believe. The Jews who never believe, uh, who are so hard-hearted that that they see sign after sign and time after time and opportunity after opportunity to, to believe. Never take that opportunity. At the resurrection of Lazarus, some things change. And many of the Jews who were there that day, who saw that happen, believed. And even the ones who they told that Lazarus had died, those people can now come see Lazarus, and they're believing too. Uh, And so Mary and Martha's pain was completely warranted, right? Um, their, Their questions are not unfounded. They're right. But they just didn't wait to see how God would turn their mourning into rejoicing. We fall in the same category, too. I I don't know what you've been through. I know so many of you have been through so much darkness. Um, We live in a messed up and crazy world where people do things that they shouldn't do. um, And that affects um, us as other people's sin and other people's carelessness. It affects us, right? Uh, So I don't don't know what you've been through, but I know that there's pain out there. And I'm sure that you've been in Mary and Martha's spot. Lord, why didn't you just show up? Why didn't you just show up? And I'm not saying that 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 had, uh, that he caused that. Certainly he did not cause uh, that awful thing to happen to you. That darkness to happen to you. But if we wait long enough, we can see good come out of that incredible darkness in your life, just like it did uh, from Mary and Martha's life. Romans 8, 28, Paul makes that promise to us that all things will work together for good to those who are who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so he has that purpose in our lives. He can do that, wants to do that, wants to unravel our past and show us how beauty can come out of darkness. Beauty will come out of this virus. I guarantee it. I don't know when it's going to happen. It's happening now. It's happening right now. Uh, It's happened all throughout this as attention has been brought to God, as people have been humbled, uh, as you have done good deeds and people have been uh, turning to the Father. Good has already come out of the darkness of this virus. How much more? I I, I don't know. God can do all things. That's what Martha says here. Um, He can do everything. And and so maybe there's still a a more good, a greater good um, that's going to come out of this. I I pray that that that's the case. Um, Let's keep reading in our story here. Uh, John chapter 11, verse 23. Jesus has already unraveled Martha's past uh, in this story and has brought goodness out of incredible pain. Um, Let's see a couple more things. John chapter 11, verse 23. Jesus said to her, I know you're Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Uh, and so Jesus is walking her through uh, what's about to happen. And she kind of goes through this a little bit of a religious platitude, I guess. Um, she, she says a little in verse 22, I believe that God will do whatever you ask. But is that really true? Jump forward a couple of verses uh, and you'll see that right before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he's going to tell them to roll away the stone. Um, Lazarus and Mary and Martha were wealthy, and so Lazarus gets to be buried in a, uh, a cave, and there's a stone that's been put in front of uh, the cave. Uh, he's been in there for four days, and when Jesus says, roll away the stone, Martha has something to say. She says, but Lord, it's been four days, and his body's going to stink. Did she really believe that God could do anything, that Jesus could do anything? Her faith is struggling. But I think after this event, you're going to see a change in Martha's faith. Uh, it's going to grow. Right now it's the size of a mustard seed. I think you can do anything. But I've got some reservations too. I'm scared too. Uh, I don't know exactly how this is going to work out. So uh, that's why she says, I don't, I don't know about this rolling the stone away. Her faith's about to grow. Uh, and, but Jesus has this amazing statement here. Uh, and this is the point that John wants us to see from John chapter 11. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Inside of Christ, there is no fear of death. Uh, John has this fascination with death. Uh, he's going to mention uh, this word, this death word, uh, apotnesco, 28 times. Uh, it blows everyone else out of the water. All the other New Testament writers don't mention it nearly that many times. Paul mentions it 23 times uh, in the book of Romans. The next runner-up, the next New Testament writer that mentions this word uh, several times is Luke. And he only uses it ten times. And so John has, obviously, this fascination with death. He talks about it quite a bit. So what's he want, want us to see here? Well, let's walk through a couple of these passages so that you can see what John wants you to see from John chapter 11. Uh, when Jesus says that he is the resurrection. Uh, in uh, John 8, verses 21 and 24, uh, Jesus is meeting with the Pharisees, uh, and he, he says to them, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. And in verse 24, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Uh, they had the Messiah right in front of him. The life giver, the only one who could offer life, was standing right in front of him and right in front of them, but they hated him. And so now they're going to die in their sins. That's what John says. Uh, in John chapter 11, our, our text this morning, la uh, 
when they're going to uh, Bethany and Jesus is about to resurrect Lazarus, uh, on their way there before they start the journey, uh, Thomas has this amazing statement of faith in, in uh, verse 14. Uh, Jesus is clarifying that Lazarus has died and Thomas uh, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also so that we can die with him. You know, life's not worth living without Jesus. Uh, and so John, Thomas brings that out for us. Uh, in John chapter 11, here again toward the end of our passage, uh, our chapter today, uh, Caiaphas is going to uh, prophesy. Caiaphas is the high priest uh, this year in Jerusalem. And God's going to use him to speak truth. He's going to say a lot of things that are not true. He is the, the one who's in charge of Jesus' trial. And so there are a lot of things that Caiaphas says that are not true. But God's going to use him to say something that is true. Listen to verses 50 and 51. This is what Caiaphas says. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He didn't say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Uh, and so he is prophesying about Jesus' saving power, not just for the nation of Israel, but for the entire world. Everyone who would one day be called sons of God. He's talking about us, right? Jesus' blood washes over us and washes away our sins. He, his blood, is the vaccine for our most real problem for for our biggest problem sin um, his blood's the only vaccine for that uh, we need that blood we need uh, his death uh, and so when Jesus says here that I am the resurrection and the life he is taking away the fear of death He's taken away its power. The thing that makes death scary is, well, I don't know what's going to happen after I die, or I do know what's going to happen, and I am terrified of that. Jesus says, you don't have to be terrified of that anymore. I'm taking away its power. There's a lot of fear uh, running around with this virus, and, and as things open back up, uh, I, I know a lot of people are, are afraid of a resurgence. Um, and maybe that's a legitimate fear, right? Um, we don't have to be afraid, as children of God, of death. Because he has already conquered it. He is the resurrection and the life. There will come a day when Lazarus will die again, right? He died in the first century. After Jesus resurrected him, he's going to die again. After Jesus resurrects Himself After God resurrects Jesus, he will never die. And there's coming a day when you and I will never die. Where our souls will be with God forever. And he talks about it in this book. We don't have to be afraid of death. He's already conquered it. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15 that he's taken away its sting. He's taken away the power of death. He has conquered it, and he's taken away the fear of death. We don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Let me leave you with this verse. John chapter 21, uh, verses 20 and 22. Uh, Jesus has uh, been resurrected at this point, and uh, he has appeared several on several occasions now to the apostles. 
At this point, he is uh, on the Sea of Galilee, the shore of the Sea of Galilee, uh, and he is looking at the apostles. He has called them uh, to himself now, and they have uh, shared a meal on the uh, the sea of uh, on the shore. And uh, he calls Peter to himself, um, and he says these words to him. Remember, Peter's the one who denied Jesus three times, and he's going to say these words to Peter in John chapter 21, verses 20 through 22. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during supper and it said lord who is it that is going to betray you so jesus has already been walking with peter for a little bit now he's been talking to him about what kind of death peter is going to to uh, to, to die eventually um, they've already solidified peter's faith uh, peter is now resolute he will never again deny jesus those days are over peter's put that in the past right he's seen the glory of God now. He is convinced. Jesus is God. I need to do whatever it takes to stay with him. Uh, and so God, has, Jesus has already solidified Peter's faith, has already brought him back into the fold. And he's now telling him, us just actually told him how Peter is going to die. Peter looks back, maybe he sees over one of the dunes, this little head pop up, and he recognizes it as John, the writer of this gospel. And he sees, he sees John, and he's got a question. Uh, look in verse 22, uh, excuse me, verse 21. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Peter was wondering about his friend. What, what about John? This is how I'm going to die, but what about my buddy over there, John? How, is he going to be okay? What's going to happen to him? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. That, that's, that's the thought we need to walk away from today. In the midst of our grief, in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of this virus, in the midst of death, nothing else matters. Not this virus, not, not our past. No, nothing, not the darkness, not all the stuff that we've gone through. Nothing else matters. You follow him. That's what he told Peter. That's what he tells us. Life is not worth living without Jesus. That's what Thomas would say. And to Peter, he says, you're worried about all this other stuff. Don't, don't, don't focus on that stuff because it really doesn't matter all that much. What matters is you follow me. You be the devoted disciple that you can be. And then you wait and watch as God brings rejoicing out of mourning. I pray that this has been an encouragement to you today. Uh, and that's my motivation to you uh, this week is to wait and see. Watch as he turns your mourning into joy. Jesus can do all things wait and watch and work church
communion is important because it's a command to remember in Matthew 26 verses 26 through 28 Jesus wants us to remember every time we taste the bread and wine and even when we sit at the tables in our own homes that he is the one who provides all we need he gives us the physical food that we need to survive and the spiritual nourishment we need to keep taking our next steps with him in 1969 Edwin Eugene Buzz Aldrin was an elder at a congregation just outside of Houston Texas he told the lead pastor of his church, Dean Woodruff, that he had been struggling to find the right symbol for the lunar landing. We wanted to express our feelings that what man was doing in the mission transcended electronics and computers and rockets. Aldrin told Guidepost magazine in 1970, one of the principal symbols, Woodruff said, is that God reveals himself in common elements of everyday life. Traditionally, these elements are bread and wine, common foods in Bible days, and typical products of man's labor. Aldrin got the idea for communion ceremony while at Cape Kennedy working with the sophisticated tools of the space effort. It occurred to me that these tools were typical elements of life today, Aldrin said. I wondered if it might be possible to take communion on the moon, symbolizing the thought that God was revealing himself there too, as man reached into the universe, for there were many of us in the NASA program who do trust that what we are doing is God's eternal plan for man. The communion bread was carried in a plastic packet, the way regular in-flight food is wrapped. Because there was just enough gravity on the moon for liquid to pour, Aldrin wanted to pour the wine into the chalice from his church. Woodruff had presented him a silver cup that was small and light enough that it could be carried in the astronaut's personal preference kit. After unpacking the elements from their flight packets and laying them on a small table in front of the abort guidance system computer, Aldrin radioed back to NASA with this message. Houston, this is Eagle. This is the LM pilot speaking. I would like to request a few moments of silence I would like to invite each person listening in, wherever and whomever he may be, to contemplate for a moment the events of the past few hours and to invite each person listening, wherever and whomever he may be, to contemplate for a moment the events that in his own individual way. Before taking communion, Aldrin read from John 15:5, which he had handwritten on a scrap of paper. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, for you can do nothing without me. After radio, radioing in his message and reading the scripture verse, Aldrin partook of the supper. Fellow astronaut Neil Armstrong looked on quietly but did not participate. I poured the wine into the chalice our church had given me, Aldrin says. In the one-sixth gravity of the moon, the wine curled slowly and gracefully up one side of the cup. It was interesting to think that the very first liquid ever poured on the moon and the first food ever eaten there were communion elements. After taking the elements, Aldrin says he sensed especially strongly my, unit with our church, my unity with our church back home and with the church everywhere. Shall we pray as we partake of the the communion elements, the 
the bread. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you at this time that we can remember Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and his body that was broken for the forgiveness of our sins. Bless us as we partake of this bread and, and help us to become the Christians that you would have us to be in our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you pray with me as we partake of the fruit of the vine? Our Father in heaven, we remember at this time the blood that Jesus shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus was without sin, and his blood is the only way that we, we can find forgiveness and to come to you. We ask you to bless this cup, the fruit of the vine, as it represents Jesus' blood shed for us. Amen. It's good to hear another lesson from God's Word on the resurrection of Lazarus. Hope everyone is doing well and ready to attend services together in person once again. Until the governor allows us to meet at the building, I'm grateful for the technology we have to visit with you each Sunday morning and Wednesday afternoon in worship and class. Continue to pray for our sick, our country, our leaders, and our church family. Some of our sick are Jerry Fry's brother Kenny, complications from COPD, Susan Bowen's friend Max, Mally Williams' friend Luke, 
Pam Matthews, Becky and Janet Barkas's sister, has been diagnosed with cancer and continue to keep Abigail Nida's sister in your prayers also. Scripture for this morning I'd like to read from Matthew 6, 33 and 34 if you'd like to follow along. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Would you bow with me in closing prayer, please? Father, we're thankful for this beautiful day of life you've given us, for your Son who came and died for us, for the land in which we live and the community. We ask your continued blessings on our congregation as we meet differently than we're used to. We pray that you'll bless each and every one that's watched this morning, that we learn from your word. We ask, Father, that you bless our sick and bless those ones that are mentioned, especially those of the household of faith, and, and keep us all safe until we can once again return to meet with each other. We pray for the leaders of our countries that the decisions they make will help us and keep us safe. Pray that they look to you for guidance and help in those decisions. We ask, Father, that you go with us as, as we go throughout our daily walk of life, that we, during this time, can remember you and that look to you for guidance and help. Forgive us, Father, in thy son's name we pray, and amen.